but we've got our volumes are going up and down a little bit. Okay. Well, we're here together and in the room, and I'll speak loudly if I need to. So we're starting this new series, which is, um, it's really, rather than just a teaching series, our aim is that this is a, is a kind of learning time of us asking God as a church community about how we pursue some of the calling of hope. And uh, as Becca mentioned in the first half, we have these four dreams that give us our, our focus for how, we, for how we sort of focus as a church. Um, and they're, they're painted up in the foyer there on the wall. Uh, Alex painted them a few years ago. So they are to be a, a church that children love, to be at the heart of the community, to be a family of people on the margins of society, and to be a prayer center for the city. And we're, in this season, we're particularly digging into, God, what does it look like for us to pursue being a prayer center for the city um, at this time? And so the idea is that we're, we'll be, our, our teaching will be on, on prayer, and, but also as a church, we're also asking God this question, what does it look like for us to pursue the, the dream? Do you think the piano is like in the, in the way of the, um, of the antenna? Should we, should we just try that? Because it's going really, to annoy me if we're kind of phasing in and out. Let's just um, push the piano for a minute. We can rearrange you up. Oh, there's microphones, aren't there? there? Okay, let's try that. So, um, so uh, yeah, so we're really going to be asking God, what does it look like for us to be pursuing this dream to be a prayer center for the city? And this morning, I'm kind of setting us up um, for that, se- that this season and going to look at three things uh, through the Bible and through history. We're going to look at... Um, a community that prayed uh, in the time of King David. So this is about 1000 BC. Then we're going to jump to the 18th century, 1722 in Germany, and look at a community that prayed. And then we're going to jump into 1999 and the call on hope to build a prayer center for the city. And we're going to look at those, those, those three things. And this is um, sort of starting off our season of, God, what does it look like for us to be pursuing this? So, and I think with all of these things, uh, we're not looking to kind of copy copy uh, what's been done necessarily in the past, but we're looking to, to see what is what is God teaching us in the Bible that are enduring truths that, that we that we live out now. But also, what's the Holy Spirit saying to us as to how we do do this uh, in this season? So the first one is um, is King David, and so the history of the history of Israel. Um, so it goes right back to God speaks to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation, doesn't he? And then Abraham has a son, Isaac has a son, Jacob. And, uh, and then they go into slavery in Egypt. And they're in, they're in Egypt, this, this nation that's beginning to form. Then God speaks to Moses. And he brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. And they, and they, they have that amazing crossing of the sea, miraculous moment. And they live in the desert for 40 years. And God is forming this, this community, this nation um, his own people in the desert in this time for 40 years. And then Joshua comes and then they start to go into the promised land, the land of Israel that's still pretty similar to the land of Israel as it is on the map today. And this becomes the, the, kind, of, the kind of home for the nation of Israel, which is the nation through which God is going to bless the whole world. And uh, God doesn't really want them to have a king because uh, he's concerned that they'll start idolizing the king, just like we can idolize footballers or, or, or other celebrities. We can sort of give all of our attention and, and adoration to a person. But his desire was that they would always have a very direct relationship with, with God. So he didn't want to give them a king. So they had a period of time when they had judges and, and, and other, other forms of sort of informal leaders, or, or leaders, but, but less, less um, grand uh, than a monarchy. 
But Israel kept saying, actually, we want a king. That will, that will give us our sense of identity like the other nations around us. So they have King Saul becomes their first king. He's a bit of a disaster. And then David becomes king. And David is the man who fought Goliath. He was the shepherd boy, um, uh, the, the humble man. And he becomes the second king of Israel. And uh, he's, he's, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And we see in the nation of Israel, while David is king, we see the nation really start to, to blossom. And it, and it becomes this, this rich and beautiful nation, which actually becomes one of the most powerful, Jerusalem's one of the most powerful and recognized cities uh, in, in the ancient world. And, um, and, but, but interestingly, when David becomes king, the first thing that he does is he a, a, appoints a, a group of people to pray and worship God continually uh, for 24 hours a day. And it starts off, he, he, he set up 288 people. And their sole job in life was to worship God day and night. There were 24 teams. Each had 12 people. And this, this was really the sort of centerpiece. I was trying to think of it. I'm not very good on things like the details of things like Star Wars. I was trying to think, is there a sort of a, sort of a, a, sort of a center from which everything in the galaxy happens? I don't, I don't know that there, there is necessarily. Maybe there is in some other sort of film. But, um, but, 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 but thinking about the, sort of, the, the very sort of hub, the sort of very heart of the government of the nation of Israel was this praying and worshipping community who were started off 288 people praying day and night. And throughout David's 40 years as the king of Israel, this was happening continually. It grew a bit. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 25 explains uh, the appointment of, uh, of these roles, these people that were called to pray and called to worship continuously. And they, they grew to 4,000 people in 1 Chronicles 23 verse 5. Um, and as I said, this, is a, this was a time when Israel just really flourished and everything around them, um, they, lived, they, they grew to live in a time of peace and, 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 and the nation was established. And then you see David's son Solomon, who really kind of um, lives, in, I think, out of the legacy of, of the, what his father had established in, in Israel. And, 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 and you see things like the Queen of Sheba wants to come and see Israel and see the sort of the wonder and the abundance and all the wisdom that Solomon has. And all of this is, is, is coming off this um, nation that was built around prayer and worship. And, and, and all, I, I think often with prayer, I don't know if this is your experience, but it's, it's often quite nebulous. It's quite hard to... Sometimes you have some big dramatic, we prayed for this and this happens. But often it can be quite subtle and it's quite easy to miss it. And, um, and it's quite hard to look at cause and effect. This prayer led to that. Um, but you... But you look at Israel in their history at this point, and, they, and, I, and it's fair to say that they flourished like they did at no other time in their history. Afterwards, um, other nations became more powerful than them. They crumbled on the inside. So there you go. That's our first kind of picture of a community of prayer. David established 288 people praying continually, grew to 4,000. Israel really, really flourished. Now we're going to jump on to... Um, to Germany around 17 in the sort of 1720s and there were asylum seekers um, they were Moravian as a Moravian people were asylum seekers refugees um, who were Christians and they were being persecuted in Europe so they were fleeing their homeland and there was a we've got a, a portrait of him in the gents toilets half of you in the room might have noticed <laughs> and um, and uh, this is this man called Count Zinzendorf who was an Austrian aristocrat and a passionate Christian 
And he had lots of land um, and that he owned and his family owned. And he welcomed the Moravian Christians and said, actually, you can come and establish a village uh, on my land. So, this, so he started building, allowed them to build this village called Hernhut. And uh, Ben's got a twinkle in his eye because I can see what he's thinking about. Um, uh, and uh, I'm getting distracted. Um, <laughs> Zinten, I'll ask Ben about that later on. Um, Zinzendorf built this village called Hernhut. And, uh, but at first, these people, I, I don't know, maybe presumably because they've come from trauma and they've come from uh, persecution, the community is actually really dysfunctional uh, to start with. And there's a lot of relationship breakdown. There's warring factions. It's all quite, um, dis- there's, a, there's a lot of dysfunction. But in, uh, what was the date? Uh, on is the 13th of August, 1727, there was, a, there was a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So uh, you, you might have heard the term revival talked about before. And, and, and throughout, um, throughout history, there have been times when the Holy Spirit, when God in a very powerful way, just kind of comes in a, in, a, in a tangible presence and form on, on people. And we, we call this revival. And this happened here in Hernhut on the 13th of August, 1727. And... Uh, and the, and the people there just couldn't stop praying, and they couldn't stop worshiping God. All the children were there as well, praying late into the night. And you could see, really, that this was a, a substantial move of God because the people were forever different afterwards, after this. The community dysfunction, the breakdown in relationships stopped, and um, they became really a, a thriving community. And they, and they felt um, the Holy Spirit was leading them to pray continually, so they formed themselves into these bands of prayers. And they had, they had uh, 24 men and 24 women who committed to praying uh, around the clock for 24 hours. This is something that they felt the Holy Spirit lead them to do. And before long, they had many names on the list of people for whom they were praying. They prayed for brothers and sisters in prison, those who were ill, people struggling with repentance, and later, many overseas missionaries. Many miraculous cures and miracles were reported. This carries on for about four years. And after, after four years, um, they feel that, again, the Holy Spirit's leading out of this time of continuing to pray and uh, 24 hours and telling them to send missionaries out around the world. I mean, that may not, may not sound very surprising to us, but there were no missionaries like that in these days, in the sort of 1730s or so. Um, that, that didn't happen. Um, I think the only way you could go overseas as a, as a missionary was if you were an ordained priest, and they very much had their own sort of parishes and things. So this whole concept of mission didn't really happen as it had done in biblical times uh, back then. So, but, but, but the Holy Spirit said start, said, start sending each other out to um, different parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. And so the Moravians become the first Protestant sort of mobilized missionary uh, organ- movement. And they, have, they send out thousands of people all around the world, and they get, lots of them get martyred and killed. Extraordinary stories of people who were, there were some who even sold themselves into slavery so that they could reach the slaves in the Caribbean, for example. And they would go and they would become slaves so they could sh- share the message of Jesus with these people. So that's uh, a second community that um, uh, was a community of prayer, uh, 1720s and so. So we've gone King David, 1000 BC, Moravians in the 18th, in the 18th century. Now going to come on to Hope Chapel. And uh, so um, I wasn't here when this happened, but I've heard a lot about it over the, over the years from Silas and Annie, who, start, who are the pastors here before us. And I want to just recount a bit of the, the calling on Hope to, uh, to build a prayer center uh, for the city. 
So through 1999, uh, God spoke to Silas and Annie and others. I listed, I've listed some names here who had sort of significant prophecies, significant senses of God speaking about building a prayer center here at Hope Chapel. And they were Robin Bowden, Katie Sobel, Johnny Trelaw, Sheena Tranter, Annie Toombs, Georgie Cobb. And they, they, these people all had some very specific words about um, establishing Hope Chapel as a prayer center uh, for the city. And there were details, and they're like, you should build this room up on the balcony up here, and it should be made of glass. And there were some very specific uh, leading to come to this building, because the church wasn't based at this building back, back then. Um, and, th- and there's one particular prophecy that I thought I'd recount, because um, it strikes me as being... It's, it's always something lovely when, when, a, when a prophecy comes from someone who's completely out of the context. They don't know anything about it. And, uh, and so I'm going to read here what Silas has written. On the 26th of November, 1999, I attended a dedication, this is Silas, of the, the chapel of the prodigal son in, in Her, Maj- Her Majesty's prison, uh, Ashfield, a young offender's prison, situated on the outskirts of Bristol in a village called Puckle Church. At the end of the service, there was a reception, and Silas recalls the following events happening. I was standing behind a man, waiting to get my refreshments, when, sensing that he was about to burn his hand on the ultra-thin plastic cup of coffee, I offered to get him another cup. He thanked me and then said, and then I talked to you. I can't do a Ugandan accent. Joe, do you want to do this? No, okay. I can imagine you doing a really good Ugandan accent. Okay. Well, if Silas was here, I'd have dragged him to the front and he could have done a Ugandan accent. I'm just going to read it as an English person, Is that okay? if that's okay. And then I talked to you. I looked at him somewhat surprised, but he insisted and beckoned me to follow him into a room just off the main chapel. There were three others sitting on the chair in that room, and with a swish of his hand, he said to them, away, away, I talked to this man. I'm very English, aren't I? Pointing at me. When they had gone, he stared at me with his amazingly beautiful African eyes. The whites of the eyes are so strong. And then he said to me, 24-hour prayer. Hallelujah. Then I thought to myself, I think this is a God moment rather than just a weird moment. (laughs) (laughs) Then George continued, and it all began to make more sense. This is what he said to me. You were leading the worship in the service, and as I watched you, I sensed the Lord say to me, that man... As we huddled there, he went on to explain how he and his wife had left Uganda a month before and flown to Scotland, where his wife was starting a PhD in Glasgow. Before leaving, he'd put his church in some capable hands and had begun to book up a number of events across the UK because he was a gifted evangelist. However, when he'd arrived in Scotland, the Lord had revealed to him in prayer that he was to cancel his diary appointments because the Lord wanted him to spend time in prayer and intercession. He pleaded with the Lord that this was not his particular ministry. But after a time of fasting and prayer, he'd received clear directions from the Lord. I'm going to show you people in, the, in this country on whose heart I've put a passion to establish 24-hour prayer centers. When you see them, I will say to you, that's one. Then he looked at me and flashed his big African grin. You are the second one. As I saw you leading worship in the service a few minutes ago, the Lord whispered to me, that man. The following year, George turned up in Bristol again and asked to see Silas. I've come to remind you of your call from the Lord, he said. Tragically, two years later, George died from malaria at the age of 38. So that's a pretty extraordinary uh, moment on top of these other senses of, of, of calling to build a prayer centre here at Hope Chapel. The story goes on, and um, in, in 2000, around about 2003, um, the money was raised to, to do this bit of renovation work. And it was about £160,000 was raised in 30 days. So there's, a, again, a cool story around that. And 
So over these past uh, 20 years, since, since that, back in 1999-2000, um, there have been lots of different uh, ways in which we as a church have pursued that call to be a 24-7 prayer centre um, for the city. There have been times when we've done 24-7. There have been times when we've absolutely beasted ourselves. I remember some exhausting times of, hey, let's as a group of 60 of us try and pray 24-7, 365. And... Um, and <laughs> It, we, there, was, there was some great moments in there, but also it was pretty horrible. And, uh, and, and this sort of sense of looming failure uh, hanging over you, of we just can't do this. Um, but uh, lots of different seasons. Again, I've listed a few of these. Daily and weekly rhythms of prayer, weeks of 24-7 prayer. There have been YWAM teams coming to stay, Korean prayer teams coming to pray for the city. Lots of city prayer events, praying for spheres. There was a time when we hired out Ashton Gate Stadium and got... Um, all churches in Bristol came together to pray. Esther ran a worship school for 2003. Lots of prayer events for city leaders and ministry leaders. Organic worship has been running uh, for quite a few years here now. There's been a Tuesday prayer day. Uh, and then OCOD, um, our monthly 24 hours of prayer as a church, which we've been doing since 2019. So there's been all, all sorts of expressions happening. It hasn't looked like a kind of continual... Um, I don't think we've got the resources of King David and having 4,000 people we can just pay full-time to be uh, worshipping here. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily what we're, what we're called to do. Um, but uh, my feeling is that that's a very real call on us as a church to be a prayer centre for the city. And uh, so we're going to be spending these next few months looking at um, God, how, do we, how do we pursue that dream now? What is it that you've got for us? You know, we know that God is good. He's not going to load on us something that's an impossible burden for us to carry. But we we also know that part of the Christian walk is to believe and, and pursue dreams that God gives us that are bigger than ourselves. And so, uh, inspired by those uh, those things from history, from King David's time, um, in, inspired by the Moravians and, and, and the call on us here at Hope Chapel, uh, this is... Um, what we're going to be asking God as a church for these next few months. I just wanted to finish um, before, we, before we worship and pray with a few, a few just reflections. I think I've got four reflections here um, on, on some of these examples that we've heard. The first one was that um, I think that these prophetic words, going back to 1999, my personal view is that they're for us now, and I, and I, I think they still stand. Um, I think the specificity of, of them uh, and the precision... Uh, uh, I, I take those as being for us now. Secondly, um, interesting, we've, we've become quite a significant church in Bristol. We're, we're quite small numerically compared to some other churches, but um, we have quite a lot of clout and quite a lot of weight and a lot of respect around the city. And um, people who are part of Hope often are significant leaders in the city and have a lot of influence. And that's just an observation, really. And I, and I wonder if it's part of, um, part of our call to be a prayer centre for the city. I wonder if that's something that God has, has done as we've been a people of prayer, uh, albeit in, in the ways that it's been. Thirdly, I wanted to just mention again that I think, that I think prayer is subtle and, 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 it, and it's hard to, it is hard to look at cause and effect. Um, I don't know exactly what the kind of remit was for the prayers and worshippers in King David's day. Um, uh, we know from the Moravians that they were praying very specific prayers. They would be praying n- prayers for named people. May these people come to know Jesus. Um, protect these people. Do this. Very specific prayers. But the impression I get of King David's time is that there was, is that maybe it was more worship, more it was more sung worship, adoration of God. Um, 
But what came out of that, commu- that, that community in David's time was, like one thing is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms was written, was written back then. And, and a lot of that came out of that praying and worshipping community for 40 years. Can you imagine what the impact is of the book of Psalms in history? Imagine if we didn't have the book of Psalms. I mean, so many people have um, met and encountered God and been comforted in kinds of grief and all sorts, been able to express themselves because of that. They call it the hymn book of the Bible, don't they? The sort of Hebrew hymn book, Psalms coming out of that time. And, uh, and then if we look at the Moravians, um, some of the output of, I can probably trace my own heritage, actually, back to the Moravians if, in quite a just in sort of random way. So, so um, the Moravians sent these missionaries all around, uh, around the world. And John Wesley, who was this uh, British um, uh, preacher, in the 18th century. He was, he was an interesting man. He grew up in a very religious context. And if you read or hear anything about him, he looks to me like a man who, who knew that, that Jesus um, is, is, the, is the key to life. But he had this, also had this kind of tormenting struggle with religion and the religious establishment. He would beast himself, sort of, you know, trying to do these extraordinary spiritual exercises and disciplines. And you get a sense of this man who is quite driven in an exhausting kind of way but didn't really know God. He didn't, he didn't really know Jesus. He knew there was something in Jesus and something in God, but he hadn't really experienced it. And then one time he was traveling to America um, and he had, the, he had various failed trips, uh, preaching tours. And, uh, and he was struck by, he was on, this, on this ship going to America and there were some Moravians on board. There was a terrible storm and he thought he was going to drown. He was terrified. But these Moravians were just really relaxed and they were worshiping and they were prayerful. And he was struck by these Moravians and saw something about these people actually know God. They have a peace. They have a, a lack of fear that they carry. And so John Wesley attributes a lot of his personal conversion to the Moravians. And then he then went on to, um, to preach uh, all, around, all around the country. And uh, again, back to the gents' toilets. <laughs> there's, a, there's, another, there's a story in there of a, of a coal miner from Kingswood, Samuel Tippett, who became a Christian through hearing John Wesley preach the gospel in, in Kingswood. And the story is that Kingswood, part of Bristol, was an absolute savage place back in, back in these days, in the, in the, in the 17, uh, whatever it was, maybe 1740s or so. And it said that even the slave traders of Bristol and the hardened sailors, who were pretty tough people, were scared to go to Kingswood because the coal miners there were so rough and so dangerous. They would occasionally sort of riot into the city of Bristol and, there were, and, and no sort of police or anything would go to Kingswood. It was so dangerous. You, there were, people were drunk everywhere, um, swearing everywhere. It was absolute chaos. But Wesley went there. John Wesley went there, and he preached to the coal miners in the open fields. And thousands of coal miners came out of the, out of the mine or out of their homes and the mines to hear John Wesley talk about a God that loves them. And there are these stories about these people with blackened faces because of all the coal and these white streaks come down these the faces of these hardened men because they hear about Jesus. They hear this God that loves them. And and what's even more extraordinary is a couple of years later, John Wesley went back to Kingswood. And as he rode through the, 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 the town, the neighborhood, um, he said that it was completely different. There was no drunkenness. There was no swearing on the streets. There was no prostitution happening. The, the landscape had changed. And this, this happened right the way across um, the United Kingdom, right the way across the country. Thousands and thousands of people, particularly among working classes, the poor, um, uh, heard about Jesus and, and were transformed. And, uh, and, and, people, and, and the link to me is that my, 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 my grandparents were Methodists, which is the denomination that kind of came out of John Wesley. And so 
uh, my faith is probably significantly influenced by my grandparents' prayers, which I'm very grateful. Um, and but inter- interestingly, uh, you know, historians have said that uh, that the French Revolution that happened in France, potentially the reason we didn't get a similar revolution here in in the UK, was because the poor found hope in in Jesus. Whereas there, w- there wasn't that same hope in France um, against the against the inequalities of the day. So, uh, look, at, it's fascinating tracking back the fruits of um, praying communities and uh, and and what's been the fruit of a praying community in, in King David's time in the nation of Israel. What's been the fruit in the uh, out of the Moravians all around the world as these people led by the Spirit of God prayed. And so the question for us as well is God's, you know, you need to ask the question as well, is this, do, do, do these prophecies and this sense, does that resonate with you? You need to weigh that for yourself. But um, I believe that God's called us here at Hope to build a prayer center for the city. And um, I think we've, we've, we've seen some wonderful th- things happen as we've prioritized what can often seem a little bit bizarre, to, uh, to hide in a room, to, to pray. You don't see anything happen particularly <laughs> a lot of the time. But, um, but uh, quietly, I think, that as we pray, as we are a community that's built around the worship of Jesus, adoration of Jesus, the, the, the impact is a, is a changing of atmospheres. It's a rising of the tide. It's a warming of the, of the temperature. It's seeing a fruitfulness and an effectiveness in our lives around us. So uh, that is really to, to kind of set up um, this, this season of, uh, of seeking God. Um, I think things will look different we, uh, to, to how they have in the past, but we want to be led by the Holy Spirit uh, in the same way. I'm going to ask Sam if you can lead us in a song of worship, and then I want to come back afterwards and um, uh, and pray. Is that okay? So, Holy Spirit, we just want to thank you for what you've been doing uh, through history. I want to thank you for what you've done with the nation of Israel, using that nation to show the world who you are. Thank you for that time with uh, under King David's rule when the nation flourished under, under worship of you and we're grateful for Christians in, in history since as well inspiring to hear the story of the Moravians and uh, we want to hold before you us little old hope here on the, on the hill and uh, in a humble way, we believe you've spoken to, to the church here and you've called us to be a prayer center for the city. We don't want to put limits on what that might look like. But we want you to, to lead us into how we pursue that, that dream. So we commit these next few months particularly to you.
and pray that you, you speak to us as a community. We pray you bring prophetic insight. We pray you bring us understanding from the scriptures, from the Bible, and from other others around as well. Jesus, we say that we love you. We commit our lives to you. We want your kingdom to come on earth, in us and through us, as it is in heaven.